0: Running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24/7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at linocom slash javascriptjabber
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode fill in the blank of the JavaScript Jabber show. I'm your host, Joe Eames, and today we have on our panel, A.J. O'Neill.
2: Yo, 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 coming at you live from rainy, rainy. Why is it raining? It should be snowing. Yeah, I know.
1: And uh, Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. And as our special guest today, we have Chris Ferdinandi.
3: Hey, everyone. I'm coming in from Massachusetts, since that's apparently what we're doing.
1: <laughs> so, uh... As much as I wanna talk about Utah's crazy weather and the proof of global warming, (laughs) I think we should uh, talk about our topic. Today we're gonna be talking about teaching vanilla JavaScript, but before we do, I think it'd be a great idea to talk, uh, have you, Chris, introduce yourself a little bit and why this is a topic that interests you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my name's Chris Ferdinandi. My primary kind of thing that I do these days is teach people, in particular beginners or folks who come from more of a design background, javascript i um started my career as uh, a human resource guy after going to school for anthropology Um, and at some point along the line ended up self-teaching my way into um, originally web design and then web development and one of the things i found when i was trying to find web development jobs was that if i didn't know or because i didn't know javascript i kept getting turned down for a lot of stuff so i took it upon myself to try and learn. And one of the things that I found was that it's really difficult to teach yourself because, or at least a few years ago, it was, um, your options were either really hostile web forums where people are hyper aggressive towards what are considered stupid beginner questions, um, bad documentation, tutorials that are incomplete or out of date. Um, eventually I kind of wrapped my head around everything. And, and now that I know it, I've, I've really kind of focused my time on helping other people who are trying to learn not have as tough a time as i did trying to wrap their head around all this stuff
1: so wait, just i need some clarity here you're saying you found some hostile people on the internet it's crazy right like who oh. would have thought but, uh, <laughs> that i'm glad that's never happened, happened. No, yeah.
4: no 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 yeah. yeah.
1: no i, I will and you know like
3: i i joke about that but like i i will say in on the whole i one of the things i absolutely love about our profession is how generally open and willing to share people are and there are absolutely soapboxes and tiny hills that people are willing to die on over stuff but um generally speaking compared to some some stuff i've seen in more broad other professions and and corporate life um i just i i honestly think we're uh, we're not doing so bad right but the 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 forums, like Stack Overflow is an awesome resource with a lot of people who are super, super terrible to people who are just trying to learn.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So um, was there other places besides uh, Stack Overflow you tried that you found negative uh, um, communities? And then what places did you f- have you found that are more positive communities?
3: Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a few years ago now and now that I'm getting older, my, my memory is not, not quite as great as it used to be, but um, the the places that were really most helpful um, were, um, you know, so obviously like CSS tricks does so much more than just CSS and um, both Chris Coyer and his guest authors, as well as kind of the, the nice community of folks he's built over there um, have been incredible. Um, at the time that I was learning, Twitter was still kind of old school, good Twitter and not modern, horrible Twitter. Um, so that was a really, really great resource for me. Um, and then the other thing that really honestly helped probably more than anything was I am, I kind of learned by just saying like, okay, here's a thing I want to build. Let me Google a whole bunch of stuff until I figure it out. Like, like a show more, show less link. For example, you, you click it, it shows some content. You click it, it, it hides the content, um, And anytime I'd create something like that, I would throw it up on GitHub and um, not because I was trying to get a bunch of people to use it, but I just wanted a place to kind of store all this stuff. Um, But people would kind of sometimes find it and start playing with it. And create bug reports or issues. And they were never like jerks about it. It was just like, hey, here's a here's a thing I found that's not working or like, am I doing this wrong? Um, and it helped me identify a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't realize I was doing wrong or that I kind of previously wasn't aware of. Um, and uh, eventually I started getting pull requests, which was nice because then people would fix the things I didn't know how to do for me. And I would learn from looking at their code, which was great. Um, and then honestly, the thing that probably helped me more than anything, um, so there's this, uh, guy out of the UK, Todd Motto, who's now, um, hyper-focused on Angular and he's kind of like one of the go-to guys in the Angular community. But at the time he was all about plain vanilla native JavaScript. And, um, I started reading some of his articles and I, I just, on a whim decided to email him with some questions. And, uh, he wrote back and kept writing back every time I would ask him questions. And uh, eventually he became kind of a a friend of mine and um, he would never consider himself a mentor, but to me, that's what he was. Um, And he, uh, he was just so cool about giving me honest, um, unadulterated feedback about the code I was writing, the things I was doing wrong, the things I was doing well, um, answering some of those stupid beginner questions for me without making me feel like a jerk for asking them. Um, so yeah, that, um, that, that helped quite a bit. I, I legitimately owe my career to to Todd and a couple of other folks who, who did similar things.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Really yeah, like Todd. Absolutely. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan. He's uh, coming out to visit us here in Salt Lake in April at NGConf.
3: Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, Awesome. Yeah. Todd's, um, I'm, I'm really like, he's just, he's doing so well with ultimate angular now and I'm, uh, I'm just even though I I am um, I'm personally not a fan of Angular as a framework I uh, I'm just so happy to see kind of all his success because he's definitely put in the work and earned it.
1: Cool. Cool. So um you had some negative experiences, had some positive experiences and from that you decided that you would go into doing some uh, education on your on your own as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, so I am um, after not right away, but so after I kind of wrapped my head around what I was doing, or I pretty much throughout the whole time I was wrapping my head around what I was doing, I, I continued to just write articles and put together little YouTube videos and stuff that I was learning. Um, and uh, amongst a whole bunch of other stuff, I'd been hyper focused on WordPress and web performance for a while. Um, but one of the things I found was that the most popular articles on my site tended to be how to do jQuery things without jQuery. Um, mm. And the more I write about that stuff, the more people started kind of coming to my site and emailing me about things. Um, so eventually at some point about maybe a year, year and a half ago, I decided to make that the primary focus of what I do. Um, I ended up writing an ebook that got broken up into a series of at, uh, at the feedback of my readers, a series of smaller, shorter guides on some focused topics on JavaScript and, uh, now I'm working on a, a video course or a series of video courses, um, on similar topics, but, uh, but yeah, I, um, I found that I really, as people would ask questions and I would help them work through stuff and kind of basically becoming a Todd myself, not nearly as big or successful as he is, but kind of doing a lot of the stuff he did for me. Um, I just, I find that really personally rewarding, um, kind of helping, helping people not have quite as hard a time wrapping their head around this stuff. Um, cause once you, once you kind of have that Neo in the matrix moment and can see all the zeros and ones, JavaScript makes a lot of sense. But, um, early on, I think it's a lot more confusing to learn than something like CSS is um, just cause some of the kind of the conventions and the naming of things is not nearly as obvious as you want to change the background color on something you use background color. Like that's really straightforward. Um, JavaScript is not always as obvious in its conventions. <laughs> yeah, I'd And I'm not trying fun. to say CSS is easy because there are definitely some, some really crazy things you can do with CSS that are way over my head. Um, but I think the basics are a little easier to learn, um, even though the mastery of it can be just as difficult.
1: So in your opinion, you think CSS is a little bit easier to learn than JavaScript?
3: Mm, okay, so... Um, that is, a, that is a, a controversial statement that I won't fully endorse. Um, I think it's a little bit like, um, for me, the analogy I like to fall back to is snowboarding versus skiing. Um, and if you've ever tried to learn both, this, this might make a bit more sense than if you've only tried to learn one or the other. But the basics of skiing are a little bit easier to pick up because it's two independent feet pointed straight forward, kind of moving in the direction you're facing. Um, whereas snowboarding, you typically spend the first three days you're learning falling over and over again, getting really bruised and having basically nothing to show for it. Um, and I think learning CSS is a little bit like learning skiing. L- learning JavaScript is a little bit like learning snowboarding because at first you have literally no idea what you're doing. And it's super awkward and uncomfortable. Um, but then eventually you get it and it becomes easier and easier to do more and more and more. Um, whereas I actually find the exact opposite with CSS, where a lot of the basics are relatively straightforward. So if you wanted to build a, a, like a really simple like three-column layout in CSS, um, like an old-school blogging site, that's relatively straightforward to do. Um, but as you start to get deeper and deeper into it and start to really master the craft – um, like centering things on the page. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you yeah, guys all um, need to watch
4: my talk. This is not that bad.
3: Vertic- vertically centering, yeah. Um, or um, flexbox makes that wonderful. It really does. Um, some of the nuances of um, of you know uh, multi-device design. Um, that stuff can get pretty complicated. And I think that's where it becomes a little bit more like skiing because you can spend a lifetime trying to master skiing and, um, and still never really perfect it. Um, and I think this notion that CSS is easier than JavaScript permeates the JavaScript community. And it's yes. one of the reasons why so many JavaScript developers lobby for stuff like CSS and JavaScript and, and all these other things because they, they either think CSS isn't important or don't really value it as a craft. Um,
4: I mean, I, I, and, think, I think part of that comes from the fact that it's like it's a markup language. It's not a programming language. So people are automatically going dis- to dismiss it because
3: of that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, correct, it's it's that ironic, was, though, because they also complain about it being too difficult and confusing at the same time. So uh, there's a little bit of a dichotomy well, I, going on here.
4: I think people, people will say something is difficult and confusing when, when they don't want to understand it. Cause that's the easier way out. Yes. Typically. Absolutely. I mean, I, I myself, I'm responsible for it. Like I used to do that as well.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I, to be fair, I used to do the same thing about JavaScript. This is confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Um,
2: I don't know how someone could possibly be good at both CSS and JavaScript because it seems like your brain would have to be broken in both ways. <laughs> I mean like it
4: a, does. It, it, something... requires, it, it requires like a completely different mindset. Like you know, in, in JavaScript, like global variables global variables are bad. In CSS it's kind of it's a good thing. Like you want the cascade.
3: The funny thing I found the the better and the more immersed I've gotten into JavaScript, the the fuzzier my CSS skills have gotten. Um, it's, it's one of those, like a little bit like riding a bike, you never really forget how to do it, but you wouldn't necessarily stop riding for five years and then go, you know, compete in a triathlon, um, or a cycling competition. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, um, I think kind of the, the approaches to both are different. Um, and I'm also skeptical of this idea of, um, a controversial statement coming, but, um, the notion of a full stack developer, um, I, uh, I I've always found that that folks who claim to be full stack developers are usually people who specialize in one thing and they're kind of mediocre in the rest and that's okay, um, but they're often put up on this pedestal like they're experts at everything and it results in kind of uh, some issues when you're kind of relying on that person to do you know do everything for everyone and um, yeah you know, I just
4: like i I wanted to add to that too like this is all stuff that that i've kind of spent a lot of time thinking about last year and i think that is true too like i was full stack um for like two years and then i went to to front end and i realized when i was doing front end that when i was in full stack like it was like the javascript that was the important part and then css was like you know just good enough like as long as it looks okay but Like now um, I work for Warner Brothers and like their design is everything. So if the CSS doesn't look exactly like the design, then like that's just as bad as a JavaScript not working.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing again, you know, I want to be clear, like there's nothing wrong with being a full stack developer. Um, I just wish we were as, as an industry or as a community a little bit more honest about the limitations of what any one person can know. Um, I I think you know often full stack developers are people who are really great at either JavaScript or a back end language and then know enough about the front end often a lot about the front end but not enough that I would consider them true experts.
1: Um, generally what about speaking, uh, Node developers? Do you think and do you think it has a matter to, is it have anything to do with the language like Node where you get to use JavaScript on both the back and the front or is it a matter of perspective and paradigm? That's that's pretty interesting, right? So I am, and I know some
3: folks who are, who are really all in on Node, and they are exceptionally good at both front-end JavaScript and server-side JavaScript. But in my experience, their CSS knowledge has a particular limit. And, um, you know, it in a community where we often devalue CSS, Um, that's not always seen as an issue, but I, I think it is, those are the kinds of things that result in accessibility issues or, um, just weird design quirks that crop up in unexpected ways. Um, so yeah, I just, I fundamentally don't think any one person can know everything. Um, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were still building with tables. Sure. But, um, these days I, uh, I think it's okay to admit you don't know everything about everything.
1: But when you're talking about the difference between a you know, front end, front end, and like full stack, you're not talking about the JavaScript front end. You're talking about the CSS front end, then. Well, it's a bit of a spectrum, right? So, like, there are some folks who are
3: pretty good at JavaScript and CSS, um, but don't really know anything about back end languages. There are some folks who are really good at um, a multitude of back end languages and know enough about CSS and. JavaScript to be passable um, so it comes in it, it it's a diverse I think set of um, of skills that vary from individual to individual which is I think even why like things like calling someone a full stack developer um, are a bit of a misnomer because something somewhere is suffering I shouldn't say suffering it's just you literally cannot be an expert at all the things um, and so there's kind of this perception that maybe you can
2: in my head, and this is something that isn't what is in other people's head, but when people say to me, front-end developer, I think a person that understands the DOM, because the DOM has nothing to do with JavaScript, right? Mm-hmm. It's just its its own language that's a plug-in to JavaScript in the same way that JRuby or Iron Python or any of those other things have a separate language that they're intermingling with to bring properties that don't exist into that language Or in that language, into that language. And so, you know, people ask me, am I a front-end developer? I'll say yes, but I don't do CSS. And they get all confused. And I'm like, I'm not a designer. I'm a developer. And I understand the DOM. And I understand HTTP. And I understand headers. And I understand how a browser works and the rendering cycle, you know. So I agree
3: with that. I agree with that. Um, I also think there are some front-end developers who know CSS and HTML and not JavaScript, and I don't think that makes them any less of a front-end developer because of that. Like I know some people get like uncomfortable calling themselves developer without that JS component.
1: But hold on a second. Don't you think mm-hmm. there's plenty of front-end developers out there? This is kind of directed at AJ. Plenty of front-end developers out there who really don't know the DOM because the abstractions that a framework puts in place might completely hide a lot of the details about the dom
2: and i think that it's good to know about the dom you know it's but but the, i don't know like i consider myself more of a computer science person than just a i'd like I'm not into Rails because Rails is all about creating cookie cutter sites, right? I mean, I don't think that's derogatory in any way. People make a lot of money. Rails is like WordPress plus plus, you know. It's
4: good thing then,
2: Chuck's not here. <laughs> but no, I mean, but, but that's the thing. Is like it's it's clients that have very similar needs that fit into a very narrow focus of a framework. I mean, and, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to that. It's it's very good at what it does. Yep. Um, but you know, it is WordPress plus plus like WordPress is very good at what it does, but somebody that wants Rails would hate it. And I think similarly, somebody that really wants Node would probably scoff at Rails.
1: I'd have to say that knowing you, I think that that statement is way less insulting than it might seem at first to say somebody like Chuck, just because you are so far out on the fringes as a developer, as far as what you are, what you do, and when I say that, I mean like in the very best sense of the word, right, like as, I do the esoteric, weird stuff, okay? right, esoteric, I think is a great word to describe you, AJ, right, so you're building, you know, what you did, a, didn't you do an app that did a um, RF for you, it involved with some RF stuff, right, in JavaScript,
2: I I took a radar that was outputting over a composite video cable and turned it into a web app that used Google Maps in real time.
1: So that's the type of stuff that you normally build. When you say cookie cutter, to me, I think an entirely different thing than what you, I believe, really mean, right? Like for me, Rails is a perfect engine to build a very wide, not it's not the cookie. It's when you, you need cookie cutter for WordPress. When you don't need cookie cutter, then you go to Rails. For you, you're still, Rails is still in cookie cutter land, and the weird stuff is, that, is something that just can't be done with Rails. And, and, you know, you need something like Node because most people think of Node, and they think of, I think in general, especially when they're speaking back end, it's like Node is really express. That's what they're really thinking in their mind is they're just thinking express, right? But Node is so much more baseline than that. Right? Node is much lower level, which is why we see that Node has now become this de facto thing for all these client-side utilities that we use, NPM and uh, Webpack and Grunt, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? It's much more base than that. It's kind of like uh, C++ in its own way in the web world, right? It's the ba- It's the underlying thing that we do a lot of stuff in. So I totally get what you're saying when you say that uh, there's this cookie cutter stuff and then there's everything else. Well, I, and, and
2: I think what you said is exactly true and you could, you know, you could go up a level and say something like Squarespace is for cookie cutter sites and WordPress is for the weird stuff. And the people that like, you know, anytime you're on the scale that's down, the thing that's above is cookie cutter and the thing that's below is weird stuff.
1: All right, Chris, I got a question (laughs) for you. I'm going to relate an experience from my life and I'll have you Chip in on what you think is the problems and the right solutions here, okay? So I I was a back-end developer for a long time doing .NET and C Sharp, and and I mean a web developer, right? I was doing websites, but I was using a back-end language, no real front-end. I knew very little JavaScript. Decided, I'm going to become a JavaScript developer, so a front-end developer. So I became a front-end developer and started working with Backbone and then eventually uh, started doing some Angular. Around that time, after I'd been doing it for a short while, a couple of years, I got an opportunity to go out to Facebook and interview with Facebook. So they had me build a little app first and then they flew me out there to interview. When I went out to interview, they basically asked me to do a fairly simple whiteboard exercise where I had to code up an algorithm to display images and like make them flow on the page. And I didn't know the raw JavaScript DOM API very well. I knew jQuery. And I didn't know. I don't. I, CSS is definitely a weak spot of mine. And I would <laughs> say that although I have a reasonable understanding of the DOM, it's, at the time it was worse. And it's certainly not an area I would consider myself to be an expert in. So I, I did my interview and I think I did okay. But I was not given an, op, uh, given an offer. Meanwhile, a friend <laughs> of mine, Merrick Christensen, who AJ knows very well. Uh, and
2: is excellent at CSS right. and knows the browser very well. Oh, my gosh. Rare yeah. combo. Very rare combo.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he goes out basically the same time. Unbeknownst to me, we just both happened to go out within a couple of weeks of each other. Neither of us knew. We both worked at the same company, and we were keeping it hush-hush, right? Because we don't want it to. Tell our company we were interviewing with Facebook and we found out <laughs> later on we'd both gone out like months later We found out we'd both gone out to Facebook within a week or so of each other and interviewed Well, he goes out there and they ask him the same thing and he just whips it out in just raw javascript uh, mm-hmm. the DOM API knows exactly he he know, knew that API like the back of his hand and And sol- solves it and they gave him an offer Mm-hmm. Right, and he says that they even said they were kind of blown away as to how well he understood the DOM and the DOM API. Now, since that time, I would say I've gotten a little bit better, but I certainly would still not call myself an expert enough that I could do this sort of stuff at the back of my hat, off the back, like. You know, for road, mm-hmm. do you consider that to be a problem? And then, what are the solutions for that? Where are we at today? That is that an absolutely necessary skill that uh, when you consider yourself to be a senior level front end engineer, that you should be able to do that sort of, solve that sort of problem? Whereas, I think today we still see a lot of people relying on frameworks and abstractions?
3: So I, problem number one was probably interviewing at Facebook. But no, um, I joke, I joke. Wait a second, are you not
1: a fan of React either? If you're not a fan of Angular, you have to be a fan of React.
3: I um, I we think like they, they all have, we, we can get into this if you really want to. And this is actually, this is not a, this is not, that comment was not a dig at React as much as There's Facebook. This for Facebook. Well, themselves, I, but, I, I'll go um, with you on that one. And hope, hopefully that gets the recruiters let's, to stop emailing me, but, um, let's, let's put they, a pin um, in that and come back to it after, uh, you address yeah, so my we'll question. put a pin in that. But so, so your actual question though, I am, um, no, I, I don't think it's, um, so I know plenty of senior developers who look stuff up all the time. Um, This is um, this is one of those things like I I actually really hate interview processes like that. And I say that as someone who used to work in HR and used to kind of be mildly involved in recruiting processes, although I was never like actually a recruiter. Um, I am I just the way we select people is really obnoxious. Like you're never on the job going to have to whip out something like that from scratch in an hour just out of your own head. Um, There are plenty of, there was a thing trending on Twitter like a couple of months ago where people were admitting all the things they look up on a regular basis. And there were so many people owning up to the fact that they have to, like people who have created these large open source projects, Admitting that they have to look at their own documentation to figure out how to do stuff and the thing they create (laughs) all the time. I think John Resig was actually one of them Um, talking about how he looks at the jQuery documentation to do stuff on a regular basis. Um, And like, like, I don't know. I just this is kind of this thing that goes back to when we were in school and you were expected to remember all this stuff. And then in the real world, when you're actually working in a job like no one. No one comes up to you and says like you need to code this thing right now from scratch and you have an hour and if you don't do it you're fired like that just doesn't happen. Um, no textbook peaking like, either. Do not, you'll be yeah, like time. you need time to like think through problems and like try a couple things and mess it up and then go like I, I, I constantly like one of the things that comes with all of the tutorials and things I sell is this um, vanilla JavaScript toolkit that has this massive cheat sheet. Of stuff, um, from like the really simple, how to find an element in the DOM, and how to like listen to events, to some of the more complicated, like, hey, here's this really helpful um, helper method in jQuery. Here's how you do the same thing in vanilla. And I look at that thing constantly when I'm writing scripts, when I'm writing apps, when I'm working on client projects. Um, I don't know. I just um, i I have heard a lot of things about the Facebook recruiting process, the Google recruiting process. Um, I am not a fan of those because um, I don't think they appropriately simulate how people actually work on the job. Um, I've done whiteboard exercises before when going out to interview for jobs. Um, and the best ones I've found kind of try and get more how you think through things rather than asking you to actually like make an actual thing. Um
2: so I, I want to interject and say that there's definitely value to doing the annoying code this up on a whiteboard. like Because I've, I've done the thing uh, on – I've hired someone based on they're able to articulate extremely well their understanding and talk through a problem. But then actually sure. implementing it didn't work. So I, I like mm-hmm. to do both. I, I want to know that a person can think through a problem, but I also want to see – You can do fizz buzz as insulting as it may sound, (laughs) you know, granted, it takes longer when you're being watched and you feel like, oh, this is a stupid problem. I should solve this in 30 seconds. I can't solve it in 30 seconds. Ah."
3: But so the counterpoint to that is I I agree with your why you like whiteboard exercises. I disagree with the notion that whiteboard exercises effectively evaluate that in candidates. Um, Namely, interview processes like that are really good at funneling out of the process people who suck at interviewing. Um, That doesn't mean they're bad communicators. It doesn't mean they're bad developers. It just means that they're really uncomfortable performing on the spot, on a whiteboard for an audience Um, and not all folks are like that. But if you think about a lot of the developers you met, there are some folks within our community who are on the spectrum or um, the autism spectrum, or just, socially uncomfortable. Um they have um and I, I like to distinguish socially, um, socially uncomfortable from introversion because they're not always the same thing. Um, but there are so many reasons why someone could be both a good communicator and a good implementer and also not good at the interview process. And and in my mind, all the traditional interview really does and all whiteboard exercises do are find people who are good at interviewing. Um, Some of the the better interview processes I've gone through or recruiting processes I've gone through um, have asked me to implement projects, but have done it in a way that's more reflective of how a real world thing would work, where I'm given a day or two to go off, work on a particular project I've been given, and then come back with both my solution and some articulation around what I did and why. Um, and I think that that second part there really helps you get around this whole, Well, what if they just go copy and paste from stack overflow or have a friend do it for them? I suppose having a friend do it for them, they could still kind of give you some why, but it at least screens out some of the, the stack overflow stuff, or you can kind of do a follow-up where you look at what they've done and ask them questions about the choices they've made. Um, but just the, the whiteboard piece, it's just, it's such a high pressure thing that causes people who Aren't good at particular styles of
1: communication or interviewing to do badly, even though they're really good developers. So I totally agree with you. You're, at least in my case, you're totally preaching to the choir, and that's never going to change. And it's for the same exact, in my opinion, it's for the same exact reason that we're never going to see uh, standardized tests leave schools, (laughs) and that is, is because it's far too easy and simple of a litmus test to use in hiring. Mm hmm. Agreed. It has nothing. It's not about the effectiveness of it. It's about the fact that it makes you think as an interviewer that it has some correlation to their performance as an employee. And it's very simple to measure, just like a standardized test is. Uh, Mm -hmm. The point of school is to learn. It's not to uh, be able to pass a test because in life we don't we aren't giving given written tests. Right. And school isn't, mm-hmm. so school isn't preparing us for that same thing. We're not going to code on a whiteboard, but it feels like it's related <laughs> and it's easy to judge.
3: Yeah, this is, um, this is an HR problem as yep. much as, and it's not just obviously like hiring managers who aren't in HR do this sort of thing too, uh, because they had to do it themselves and whatnot. But um, yeah, just human resources as a profession still hasn't figured out how to effectively evaluate candidates and that trickles down into all sorts of other things. So, so I are, agree. I don't think it'll go away. I often turn down. I like to say I turned down. I haven't, I've only had one where I've had to do a whiteboard and I didn't turn it down because I wanted the job so bad, but in my head with where I am now, I would probably turn down a job that required me to go do the, the whiteboard in person thing. Um, just like I also turned down jobs that don't offer remote work opportunities these days. Um, but I know not everybody's in that position. so yeah, i you in that like,
1: position, oh, that's uh, nice.
3: Yeah, I kind of feel like a snobby elitist when I say, well, just turn down the whiteboard jobs. But no, that's, that's not always realistic for some people. And I think you're
1: right. I don't think it's going to go away. I just hate them. I pretty quickly got enough influence in my companies as an interviewer that I could start doing the interviews the way that I wanted. And I just always did a pair of programming. I'd have, ask them to come in for at least an hour, if not a couple, and just come nice. pair program with me.
0: Nice.
3: that's and that's so that's actually a good point. We almost have a responsibility um, if you agree with with us on this this particular take here to um, try and influence the way your your company does does things
1: like that. Right. So we kind of took a tangent uh, on mm-hmm. talking about interviews, but we were going back to raw dom knowledge. That mm-hmm. sort of thing, right? Like I definitely was lacking at the time. I would still say I'm somewhat lacking. I'm definitely better, but I would still say that I'm lacking compared to a lot of people that I know. Is that a problem? Is that something people should be addressing?
3: Yeah, and we had we had put a pin in this kind of um well, which frameworks do you like, Chris? Kind of conversation too, which I, I think really really ties in here. Um, and so one of the one of the things that kind of came up when we were originally scheduling, this um this chat was um the challenges that happen when you learn frameworks first or exclusively rather than um kind of learning plain javascript first um and and for me there are um there are a couple um but i think the uh uh the the big one is it really just um well, there's a few. So let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think about where to start here. Um, so I learned on jQuery. I guess that's kind of my full disclosure here. So I learned on an abstracted library and then took all the stuff I had written in jQuery and, and taught myself vanilla JavaScript by kind of transcribing well, it over. So, hold on.
2: If you learned on jQuery, you learned on JavaScript, and then you learned native DOM, which is not vanilla JavaScript because JavaScript doesn't have array lists it doesn't have all those weird C++ object types.
3: That is true. So, and, and for a while I was conflating kind of this JavaScript versus DOM APIs thing. Um, and like one of the things I still like, like when I when I mentioned like, so query selector all returns a node list, not an array. And they're like, well, what's the difference? And it's like, well, they're very similar, but a node list is actually a DOM API thing that JavaScript has access to. And,
2: and it didn't get the new for each and sort and map and all the other things. That yeah, have on and rates. so it
3: brings up all sorts of weird kind of conversations. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Um, and I, I still to this day tend to kind of use the two interchangeably, um, just for kind of ease of conversation. But but you know, you are you are from a, a technical and semantic perspective, correct? Um, but the thing, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying, I know that sounded like a super. Like, no, it's, a, it's okay. I'm very, I'm very much that way. So. No, and it's my, my wife is the same way with like, she really likes technical specificity. So um, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. But um, the. Uh, because I love JavaScript. I don't like the DOM.
2: And that's, that's the right. DOM. Anyway, I don't want to detract you Go on.
3: Yeah, no. And so the. um you know, like uh, so, a couple of the couple of the bigger issues, or for me, like the really the overarching thing with not so much jQuery, but a lot of these newer things. So, like when you get into Angular and React and View, is um, they reinforce for me this culture of over reliance on JavaScript in a way that I think is legitimately hurting the web. What um, do you mean? So um, it's it's almost like you give someone a hammer, every problem is a nail, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I'll use react or, or angular as kind of two primary examples. you know, but so, so with react, react is a, um, a framework that helps you build UIs with JavaScript. And, you know, there's obviously a little bit more to it than that. And you can also run it on the server now and everything, which is great. But, um, you see a lot of people using react like Facebook does to build, entire websites. So they're rendering all of the markup in JavaScript. Um, and I think that's wrong. I just purely purely speaking. Like Facebook can be a very fast site. And once that React file loads and all the dependencies load, page changes can be quick. But you end up with this very brittle experience um, that depends entirely on the weakest part of the front end stack. Like if a browser runs into some weird HTML element, it doesn't recognize, it just skips it and keeps going. If the browser hits some weird CSS property or attribute or class or selector, it doesn't recognize. It just skips it and keeps going. If you forget a semicolon or use the wrong variable
1: name, the browser chokes and stops doing anything else. Um, All, right. All right, I want to ju- I want to jump in here on a couple of yeah. uh, counterpoints. Well, that, yeah, that's a do. feature, not a bug, by the way. <laughs> Beyond, beyond <laughs> the obvious, beyond the obvious issue of you you chose a poor example with semicolons, since <laughs> JavaScript is mostly semicolon optional. But uh, no, like yeah. CSS, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, if you put in one that it doesn't recognize, it skips it. But if you get it wrong. One bad CSS property can completely, visually destroy an entire site. Just one true. thing off just a tiny bit can completely destroy. So even though JavaScript stops interpreting when it encounters something it can't handle and you know encounters bad syntax, mm-hmm. CSS mm-hmm. You know, has some of its own issues in similar ways. Yes, the HTML pre- uh, processor is super robust in browsers nowadays, mm-hmm. and CSS <laughs> is as well. But they but you certainly... Forget the forms yeah you, could, yeah, you could have some problems there. I mean, there's all, there's all definitely kind of kinds of ways. But that being said, I think your point is definitely right, um, that JavaScript is, sits on potentially the weakest or certainly the most likely to cause the problem. I mean, how many times have you been to a site and the JavaScript was broken? Mm-hmm. And that's probably, in my experience, the most common reason a site was broken and not because they got the HTML or CSS wrong.
3: And no, your, your point about the whole, like you could visually hide something critical or like that, that is absolutely valid. And this for me is a big part of the danger in relying on a JavaScript developer to also write the CSS. If it's not kind of a core competency of theirs, um, you know, you need people who really specialize in CSS, but, um, and yes, my example about the semicolons was um, a poor choice, but um, the, the likelihood that someone's going to botch CSS in a way that they like completely bork a whole site is um, much lower than that they're going to mess up JavaScript in a way that does. Because it's not just like you wrote your code wrong. It's um, And I encountered this all the time at, at one corporate company I used to work at. They had a very aggressive firewall because they... Worked with some technology that was used by government contractors and so they were super tight about security. They had a JavaScript whitelist rather than a black list. So if your site depended on a JavaScript file that got blocked by their company firewall, um, that site was not working. Um, and this manifests itself in things like, you know, like really simple ways, like, you know, oh, all of a sudden that button I have to click to view your whole menu doesn't open anymore or doesn't open. So I can't leave the home page. Um, you know, that's like a really simple thing. Um, but, and you know, there's obviously ways to build around that. But if your whole front end depends on JavaScript, like all of the markup, all of the content. um you've built a site that is way more fragile than it has to be. And yes, React, Vue, Angular, they all offer kind of server-side versions now, and that's great. But that's not the way that most people are building with these frameworks. And more to the point, um, I've seen a mentality come out of the culture of newer developers that is markedly different from the way that folks who used the web 15 or 20 years ago, think about it. Um, It's kind of like this app versus document mindset. And not that I think you shouldn't build apps on the web, because I do, but I always think about the web as being something that's for everyone. It should, within reason, work on every browser, on every device. There should always be some sort of kind of fallback access or content that's available to people. And I find that, uh, and not exclusively, but a lot of folks who build with these newer frameworks and learn on them, and to be a little discriminate here, um, are potentially a little bit younger or grew up with a, a world in which the web has always existed for them, the way they think about the web is, is sometimes fundamentally different. It's this notion that, well, it's really easy to update your browser, just download the, the latest one, and then everything will work. Um, or everybody has access to a high-speed internet connection these days. Um, and, you know, obviously React and Angular and Vue are not exclusively to blame for this problem, but they're part of a culture that reinforces
1: it. Hmm. That's very interesting. I mean, it's a,
3: definitely this a good is a controversial attitude I do
1: Not everybody agrees with me here. Well, That's yeah, totally I mean, it's, it's a good to attitude to have. And, and we've seen this in various forms through progressive enhancement uh, pushes and things like that. But there's obviously, you know, there's an easy counterpoint to that, and that is that uh, it's extremely expensive to build that way, and still end up with sites that are as UI rich as the sites that we're seeing nowadays.
3: Sure, and that is um, that is valid, and that's actually why I, I really like seeing things like, um, uh, you know server-side react and server-side view like i think the, these are awesome the virtual dom kind of enables you to do some some really great stuff there um so, but um you know there's also this um there's this tendency and this is where you know I, I kind of alluded to this with the if you give someone a hammer every problem looks like a nail but there's also this tendency to if you've learned on a particular framework first um you you either don't venture out to other kind of frameworks and learn different ways of doing things, or you um you use these frameworks for problems that could be much more simply and elegantly and high performancely solved that's not a word, but um uh, we're going to use it as one um solved just using a little sprinkling of plain old JavaScript and this kind of is like a callback to the old um. You just use jQuery response that's so prevalent on Stack Overflow these days, where it's like, you know, how do I get an element on the page and change its color? Just use jQuery. You know, even when people specifically say, I don't want to use jQuery for this. Um, <laughs> I think you start to see some of that now with some of these these larger frameworks, you know? Um, so, um and uh, it's unfair to call them larger because a lot of them are about the same size as jQuery is. But with some of these newer frameworks, I guess is, is maybe the way to um, to describe it. Um, one of the other problems, and please feel free to interrupt me at any point. But one of the other challenges I think with not knowing kind of the vanilla JavaScript or or the the core DOM APIs. <laughs> but one of the um, one of the things I hear about a lot from from new developers who are, are trying to learn is just this, this complete feeling of, of being overwhelmed by the, the pace with which new front-end frameworks come out. And with how quickly we as a culture drop the, the old thing for the latest new hotness. Um, Step one, buy a
2: thousand dollar MacBook. Step
3: (laughs) two, download
2: seven gigabytes of NPM. Step three, (laughs) learn these 17 super
3: easy frameworks, right? So like Angular was like the thing three years ago and people still use Angular. It hasn't gone away, but then React was the new hotness for about a year and a half. And now I'm hearing more and more about like, yeah, React is great, but I'm really excited about Vue, which has actually been around for a long time, but people are just kind of starting to get into it now. Um, and and on and on it goes. And um, one of the things that's nice about knowing vanilla JavaScript is, one, it's easier to kind of wade in and out of these frameworks if you want to. But... Two, you also start to realize that in many cases, for the things you're trying to do, you can forego them altogether. There are valid reasons why you may want to use them, but oftentimes you don't necessarily need them. Um, and, uh, and if you do, it's, it's really easy, not really easy, but it's easier to kind of wade in and out of some of these frameworks. Um, well,
2: if, if you build your code in JavaScript, not in DOM, not in React, but in, in JavaScript that you can take that library and you can write a three-line wrapper to make it work or maybe it ends up being a ten-line wrapper but you know you Mm -hmm. can write very small tiny wrappers around your library to have it or or use dependency injection so that you use the correct promise framework or the correct request framework for whatever library system reverse that the correct request library or the correct promise library for whatever framework you're using
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And one of the things I've become very fond of these days is um, is using um, just plain JavaScript um, with some of the nicer ES6 stuff um, that really draws from some of the things that these frameworks have done. And then not even running it through Babel or anything, just slapping in some polyfills so that all browsers can take advantage of these and I don't have Amen. to... I don't have to run a terminal command, or it's just there's Amen. something really, really. And again, this is this is probably because I'm so so damn old at this point. But so yeah, it's really nice to be able to just open up a, a text editor and a browser and start writing code, and not have to mess around with um, you know opening a terminal window and, and running command line prompts and messing around with a whole bunch of npm installs. Um, and you can just know. hit
2: F5 to refresh and have the new version of your app,
3: no watch
1: needed. It's you know, so quaint. Those are and, and this is are not are things, but yeah, I grew up coding in compiled languages, where the mm-hmm. I, this idea of refreshing and seeing the code was never a thing. And um, in some ways, again, I think it's my history that colors. Uh, my interpretation when I got to the web and I could just refresh and I was like, Oh wow, this is so great. And then we pretty quickly, uh, you know, I got into front end development about the time, right, right before it really got to back to, we're going to compile everything and we're going to have all these, you know, transpiled languages come around. But, um, you know, it is nice a text editor and 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 an F5, but if you've ever used a tool like resharper in C sharp, for really serious engineering refactoring your code and stuff mm-hmm. a text editor just doesn't cut it you know if you want to really craft your code renaming symbols and refactoring and stuff like that where you have an editor that can do that sort of stuff for you it's it's an entirely different uh experience
2: but you don't you don't lose anything by adding that to your development cycle you know like no. if you decide like i want to one up and add some highlighting and some auto-completion
3: great yeah Now, to be fair i use um i i do use gulp to kind of combine a handful of modular javascript files into one and i bolted in some live reload so i can skip the whole you know command f5 step there but um you know, it, this maybe speaks to my audience more than anything, but one of the things I hear from both beginners and folks who are coming from more of a design background, not a backend background or a computer science background is, um, you know, anything that starts with just open up terminal is wildly alienated, alienating, or just NPM install just, or even like, you know, like if you're gonna or use Bower, you can just buy a
2: MacBook like, Pro.
3: <laughs> you know, like yeah, or like, hey, I'm on Windows. This stuff doesn't work. Um, so like I rock Sublime Text, I have all the auto completions, um, it has a fantastic find and replace functionality. Um, and so I'm not using like a completely bare bones setup here, like it's not the web development equivalent of a single gear or fixed gear bike, but um I am using I think a much more minimal setup than is in vogue these days. Um, and I remember for a while I even resisted using things like SAS because vanilla CSS was good enough. Um, and uh, you know, at, at some point I started to see the benefit of kind of adding a little bit more power there, but. Um,
2: if you can figure out which version of Ruby to install to get it to work.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, so I actually use, I don't think I use the Ruby SAS version. I forget what the, um, what the other compiling option is there. Um, is it like. Is there like a node version? Maybe at this point I forget. It's been so long since I set everything up. I just <laughs> ironically run my npm install on my
1: uh, <laughs> on my new process every time. But do um, you um do you feel like there's some irony <clears throat> in these sorts of? And I granted, I find myself saying similar things very often, uh, mm-hmm. especially as I get to be you know older enough that I start working more and more with developers who are closer in age to my daughter than they are to me. Uh, But do you find some irony in these statements of, hey, these simpler things are so much nicer when in the end software development is ultimately as a craft uh, that every tool, everything that we build is a process of getting higher and higher level abstractions in place, right? And so we sit today amongst tools that are so infinitely complex, like the number of lines of code in the text editor that you're (laughs) espousing – is more than in the operating systems that we used 15 years ago, right? And I don't know if that's a statement is tr- actually true or not, but I think it's... No, a... Emacs was around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think the Emacs you're using today is the same Emacs that was around 15 years ago, right?
3: Uh,
2: Chuck's not here to
1: tell us. <laughs> uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there is, there is a certain level of irony to it. And... um I think, I think for me, what I really strive for is, ironically, I I look for simplicity in process. And there's a counter argument to be made here. Well, like, if you, what you really want is, is simplicity in process, then you should love all these frameworks that make it simpler to do these powerful things. And and that's true, but I'm always trying to balance that against kind of this end user experience. And as much as we can argue that, like, React and Vue and Angular help. Promote these really rich front-end experiences. Um, they also add so much complexity and fragility and weight and performance issues to the front end. Um,
2: People don't know how. Like, I, I mean, I make this joke all the time when somebody says the page is loading slow. I say, "Oh, you just need to include React. It'll make it faster. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just add the script tag. It'll make it." But. But, like, people get this idea that, like, if I use this tool, it's going to solve the world's problems. But the truth is, if you use the tool wrong or use the wrong tool, you don't solve your problem any better or any more effectively, you know?
4: The issue that I see happen a lot, too, with, like, newer developers is they get super excited about a technology and they use it for something they don't need it for. Like I've seen developers, newer developers get like super excited about react or something or view and they code up something, but it's like, not displaying any dynamic data so it really doesn't make sense to use a framework when you know you're you don't have like complex data that you're manipulating or like retrieving anything from back end
2: look if, if you've got your 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 html is being rendered in erb you want to make it faster <laughs> you just throw in view it's gonna do it
3: <laughs> you could have left off node and that statement would still be true by the way amy because it's just um it's it's one of the I think one of the things that draws people, myself included, to this profession is that we like variety and web development as a whole provides a lot of it. Um, I don't think that's necessarily exclusive to to node folks. Um, I just I talk to so many developers who jump from framework to framework just because they find it exciting and they like to play around with it. And that that's great. Um,
4: yeah, that is great. It's important not to stifle that because, you know, that is it's still, something awesome about it, interesting,
2: and it's cool to learn different programming patterns because you know these, each each one of these frameworks they come from people that don't like JavaScript and want JavaScript to be more like some other language. So you get to still use JavaScript and like learn ten languages. You get to learn Erlang and Haskell and Ruby and C Sharp, and you didn't even know you were learning them.
3: One of the things I really wanted to mention in this conversation, and I'm I'm glad you kind of brought it up, is um, it's not. Like th- these tools are not in and of themselves Evil. the problem. That, yeah, there are there are certainly some some aspects or conventions of them that I don't like, um, but the bigger problem is not always the tool. It's it's how people use it, and that's true for anything. Um, one of the things I've I've found though that I think is is kind of the core of a lot of these issues here is that that defaults matter. And I remember I used to have this argument all the time. When defending WordPress, because a lot of people who come from um, a computer science background hate on PHP and by extension also hate on WordPress. Um, And and I've always argued that, you know, WordPress is not the problem. Like it's the way you use it. You can build some very fast, high performance sites in WordPress, but there's a lot of really terrible, slow sites that are built on top of it. And a lot of that has to do with the default decisions that were made for the platform, things like loading JavaScript in the header by default instead of in the footer and um, compiling all of these templates um, kind of in real time, every time, rather than having caching built in as a default behavior. And I think you, you often see the same thing with, um, you know, some of these modern front-end JavaScript frameworks where some of the the defaults, or at least the things that are taught in the getting started tutorials reinforce some of these behaviors that I don't like, like rendering all the things in JavaScript instead of using HTML when that's more appropriate.
1: All right, Um, so in your opinion... And I want AJ to weigh in on this because I know you got a strong opinion on this. And certainly, Amy, is. well, you, your opinion may not be as vociferous as AJ's is. But I'd like everybody to weigh in on this. How much of this, we're, we're talking about, there's been but this issue that there's, we've seen lots of labels for, JavaScript fatigue and overengineering, et cetera, et cetera. How much of this is a problem of naivety, well, I don't know, if naive, inexperience versus wisdom, And how much of this is really a problem of the fact that we are doing crazy complex things on a platform that was built to display academic papers, static academic papers. And we've been bolting and bolting onto that platform ever since.
3: I'd like to hear from AJ first, honestly. So what I was going to
2: say is, The answer to that, to me, is why is jQuery still valid, right? Like, and I was going to ask this earlier if, you know, to to Chris, like, do you think it's still important to use jQuery, you know, as as like if you, as like the simplest, lowest level, the closest to the thing that you want to do without getting tangled up in the weeds, Mm -hmm. but the weeds are still there. Like, you still can't sanely set a property or an attribute on an HTML element because there are so many edge cases and rules and everything that needs, and because link tags don't function the same as as script tags, which don't function the same as style tags, which have a different property than image tags and then media tags with audio and video, you know, everything, it's like we can't just have source, we have to have source and pref, and then in some cases we have to add type you know that we we are building on this like screwed up thing i was so excited to see the fetch api because it's like okay now we don't need jquery ajax we don't need any ajax library at all like we finally have a sane implementation in the browser but as long as that document platform from the 19 late 80s early 90s whatever it was doesn't provide sane apis Saying to someone, hey, go learn the vanilla DOM and figure out all 15 million quirks why a text area, you can't access the value of it the same way that you can access an input. And there's also a different way for a radio. Like, it's uh, jQuery is nice. I just .dot .val. It doesn't matter whether it's an input or a text area or a radio. Like .dot .val is going to give me the answer. Thank goodness. Okay. It's,
1: we do have a problem there, I think. All right. So – I want to keep this short because we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quick. But I'm going to force you to cho- make a choice here, AJ. Is the problem more people or more this platform, the the, the web as a platform?
2: Say that one more time because I – Is the
1: problem more people and our tendencies to just go crazy? I mean we've been talking kind of about this. All of this is just this human nature of using crazy things to solve problems. Et cetera. Is it more with people or is it more that the just the platform – was never a great platform that we're trying to build on top of. It's absolutely the people, because
2: okay. if it were the platform, we could just include a fix the screw ups in Chrome and not even need to write it in C plus <laughs> All right,
1: <laughs> Chris, are you, are you uh, responding next or is Amy responding next? I think it's,
3: I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it's primarily the people we, um we do this to ourselves. There's a little bit of a, keeping up with the Joneses there's a job descriptions are always looking for someone who's got five years experience on something that just came out three months ago. Um, So there's this constant kind of cultural pressure within our industry to learn all this stuff that uh, you know, it just doesn't necessarily really matter. Okay. Amy, how about you?
4: I'm in agreement that is pretty much the people. But like I said, I mean, I just, I really want to be careful in this episode not to discourage people from like getting excited about this stuff, if anything. Um, just encourages you to dive in deeper to have like mm-hmm. knowledge of when and when to not use
1: certain things. Amy, I don't think you need to worry that you're somehow going to change human nature <laughs> in this episode.
4: I don't think...
1: <clears throat> no, I, 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 I will mean, second just for, that though. Just...
4: I don't know. It's just I know like there's a lot of conversation out there when you get Like people just people like to think of black and white because it's very easy and it's not a black and white thing There's a lot of gray area and it's important for you to understand that gray area
1: So I'm going to be the lone dissenting voice here Otherwise as much as I feel like people are a major, you know human nature is a major problem in this I think that this would be an entirely different conversation if the platform was a better platform because having come from a better platform when I was, you know, when I first started off, I was building desktop apps. And it, from what I remember, maybe I have my rose-colored glasses on from when, back in my day. But uh, just uh, trying to do what we're doing on the web is, and the web having so much that's built into it that cannot be fixed, just HTTP by itself uh, and the disconnected nature and di- distributed nature of it all, I think that that's far—it's m- as much, if not more, the problem than the people.
2: Interesting. But if the people were the problem, then when the committee got together, they just say, <laughs> "Okay, we'll add the Fetch API twenty years ago,
1: and we'll fix this Flexbox thing with CSS, and we're done." Aj, we both know that TC thirty nine is going to fix the whole problem. They're going to fix it. <laughs> All right, got to go switch over to Pix. This has actually been such a great, engaging episode. Uh, I really am so grateful, AJ, that you were, uh, you were here to participate in this. And Chris, you have been just fantastic. So let's run over to Pix. Uh,
0: Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. on the invoice that says, pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus FreshBooks is offering a 30 day trial. That's right. 30 day trial. If you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat dev chat and enter dev chat in the, how did you hear about a section? Once again, for a 30 day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com devchat dev chat and enter dev chat in the, how did you hear about a section?
1: AJ, are you ready with yours? Yeah, you know, there is,
2: there's something I can pick for sure. Um, One, I'm going to, I'm going to do like the scumbaggiest, like most terrible thing that I can think of to do. And I'm going to pick discover the credit card company. And, and the reason I prefix it that way is because I'm going to put a link in the show notes here where if you sign up, I get 50 bucks. You get 50 bucks. We're all happy. <laughs> and on a rotating quarterly basis, you get percent cash back on category. <laughs> and this month it's gas and groceries. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> but, uh, and I'll also, I'll also pick, um, uh, did, did I talk about Mistborn? I've been reading Mistborn finally. Uh, it's... It's uh, the the first book. I'm I'm just starting the second. The first book is great. I I would describe it as um, Star Wars for Lord of the Rings fans. You know, <laughs> like if you don't like Star Wars, don't even Wars know what that means. Like Lord of the Rings that doesn't even make Mr. any sense.
1: <laughs> but
2: because it's uh, read it and let me know what you think if you haven't read it. Because I feel like it's Star Wars for the Hobbits.
1: Almost. What? <laughs> I, I, I personally now. think that that author is the best uh, fantasy author of our age. Oh, he's amazing. And Elantris is my favorite
2: book, maybe out of all the books. But Mistborn, people were raving about it, and I finally picked it up, and I love it. Cool.
1: All right, Amy, how about you?
4: Okay, I have two. Um, The first one is something I saw on Hacker News yesterday. It was a really good article. I mean, I feel like we already all know this, and – I don't know. It like kind of sort of relates a tiny, tiny bit to what we were talking about. Just some like keeping up with the Joneses and that kind of stuff. Um, But it's called your smartphone is making you stupid, antisocial and unhealthy. So why can't you put it down? So long title there. (laughs) Um, But it's good. Just a good reminder. Like I said, I feel like we all know this, but it's a good reminder. The other one I'm going to keep on my... uh, I said on our last episode that I was going to start picking some of the different like cryptocurrency that I was looking into and stuff that I've bought a little bit of. Um, and I think I picked, what well, I probably picked Ripple last week, which I think a lot of people know about that, but uh, this week I'm going to pick one called Funfair. And if you want to check that out, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'm not, saying uh gambling is a good or a bad thing but (laughs) i do like the coin so anyways i'll put a link to that one in the show notes and that's it for me
1: cool all right uh i'll go ahead with mine i've got two quick picks the first is a board game uh that i've played recently called mystic veil it's actually a card game but it has a very unique mechanic where you start out with cards and you pick up little Things that you actually slide into the sleeves with the original cards and add onto the cards. It's a very fun mechanic and a really great game. Has a couple of expansions out. Really like it. And also, uh, just a couple days ago, <clears throat> I watched a documentary that you can get on Amazon Prime. You have to pay or rent rent it. Called, uh, and I'm going to pronounce this in English, but the name is uh, Turkish. It's K E D I. So I I don't know. It's Kedi or Kitty. It's about. It's a documentary about the cats in Istanbul. There's like hundreds of thousands of cats that live on the street in Istanbul, and the sort of the society embraces how these cats live, and so people just sort of take care of and feed cats that are strays in a, in a way that's somewhat unique uh, in the world at large. But it's a really fantastic and fascinating documentary about the cats in Istanbul called K E D I. truly enjoyed it, only like an hour and 20 minutes long, watched it with the family. Great show. Uh, and those are my picks. Chris, how about you?
3: Awesome. So um, <clears throat> I have two. Um, the first is uh, shameless self-promotion. If uh, you want to get daily JavaScript tips sent straight to your inbox, head over to gomakethings.com, where I have a daily, uh, daily developer tips newsletter that I send out. The second um, is if you are a flip-flop fan, you are going to love the Tiva mush. I cannot say enough great things about this flip-flop. It is so comfortable, so soft, it has an arch built in, it molds to your foot. It's the most comfortable flip-flop I've ever worn and I can't say enough great things about it.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow, this is, that reminds me of Ward Bell picking a video on how to sharpen pencils, picking flip-flops. <laughs> it, is, um, it It is. is truly a life-changing
3: flip-flop. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I can oversell it.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks again, Chris, for being on the show. had a great time, and it was a great episode. Uh, Thanks, AJ and Amy, for being here, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all next week.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.